The reading is from John 5, verses 1 to 24, and that's in 1068 of the Church Bible. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learnt he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, replied the invalid, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. <clears throat> the next day which this took place was the Sabbath. Oh, the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law for- forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. But not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all honor that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death into life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, Do keep that passage open and uh, we're going to take a closer look at it. Let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet, to hear your word. And we pray, Father, that as we do so now, you would give us confidence in the Lord Jesus and who he is, if we ask it in his name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but at the climax of this passage, there is a promise that is like no other. It comes in verse 24. Just look at verse 24 with me. Uh, Here's what Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Now, just pause for a second and consider Jesus' claim there. Hear what he's saying? Whoever hears my word and believes in the one who sent me, well, they have eternal life. The cemetery or the crematorium is no longer our destination. And here, what else he says? He says they will not be condemned. They've crossed over from death to life. So here's what Jesus is saying. There is no fear in Christ when it comes to relating to God. A lot of us can fear God. A lot of us can wonder what he thinks of us. And Jesus here is saying, actually, you have crossed over. You've changed categories. There is no fear. But what's most remarkable, aside from this promise that Jesus makes, is the way he makes it. Do you notice what he says? Whoever hears my word and believes in the one who sent me. Hearing and belief. As simple as that. Now, obviously, the question rises, doesn't it? What on earth makes Jesus able to make a claim like that? Here we have someone saying that actually he can end death, bring about total forgiveness of sins, just with his words. Why should we believe Jesus can do this? Well, we see in this passage, in the run-up to verse 24, that actually what Jesus does here is not just make this uh, promise, but he goes on to show, he shows us rather, why this promise is absolutely trustworthy. And and in this passage, we see why that is the case. We see um, a a miracle uh, running up from verse 1 to 9, and then we see the meaning of this miracle, uh, verses 10 to 23. I'm sorry, I'm terrible with my slides. Here we are. There we are, the sign and the meaning. See, what's the sign? Well, we meet, don't we, a man who's an absolute picture of brokenness. Uh, We're told this man has been disabled for 38 years. So for four long decades, his disability is so severe that he lays in a bed. I mean, just imagine that. Nearly 40 years, and you're confined to a straw mat six foot by three foot. And he's unable to move himself. And yet the picture, that would be pretty bad, wouldn't it? But the picture's made even more tragic by the fact that he's at this pool. Do you see why he's at this pool? Well, he hopes that he might be healed. See, occasionally this pool would um, bubble up, uh, probably from an underground spring or something like that. It may look something like this, uh, probably nothing like that. But um, you'll see there that there's these minerals on the side. And the theory was that as the waters bubbled up, the first one into the pool would get healed. And so this man lays on this straw mat, hoping that these waters would suddenly bubble up and he might be healed. But look at what he says, verse 7. So he says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And so it's a doubly tragic picture, isn't it? Because here is a man who is utterly disabled, confined to this straw mat, and he can't do anything about it. See, every time he hears the water's bubbling up and there's a big race to get in, he's right at the back. And yet he tries again and again and again. It is a picture of immense brokenness. 
But actually, it's a picture of all our brokenness. See, the blind and the deaf and the, um, the disabled were common pictures in the Old Testament of, of what it meant to be part of this fallen creation. And so this isn't just one man, but it's a picture of what has gone wrong with our whole creation. We may not be on a straw mat, but all of us have got bodies. I know some of you are young, but you have got bodies that decay, deteriorate, and will die. I'm sorry if that's news to you, but that is the case. Even at my age, you start to realize the body was not what it was. And we may have 20-20 vision, but when it comes to understanding God and what his will is for this world, well, we cannot see. We're blind. And so actually, we're more like this man by the pool than unlike him. And like the man by the pool, we try in vain, don't we, to, to fix our brokenness. Now, none of us, I'm sure, are going to go to you know, the, the lake thing in East Rock Park and wait for it to bubble up and uh, kind of clamor in. You know, we don't do that. But we do try to fix the brokenness ourselves. For us, it's more the latest diet plan or exercise regime, thinking that if we just plow our energies into that, we'll keep the grim reaper at bay. Or we plow ourselves into our jobs, thinking that that will give us the true status and reason for being that only God gives. Or we invest all in a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, thinking that that will fill the emptiness I feel in my heart. But of course, none of those things can really fix what's truly broken. See, we're like this man, broken, unable to move. We try in vain for the solution. And yet we just hope it'll be different next time. But that all changes, doesn't it? Because this man meets Jesus. And with three simple instructions in verse 8, get up, take up your mats, and walk. Well, this man's life is utterly changed. Now, of course, lots of us will think that's pretty far-fetched. How is it that Jesus walks up to this man, says these three commands, and he gets up and walks? But what John does here is to persuade us that this really happened. See, um, John gives us some quite interesting details here. Um, He tells us the place name in verse 2, it's Bethsaida. And um, he even tells us, do you notice in verse 2, that there's five covered colonnades. Now, this might not excite you very much, unless you're an architect, but colonnades are, are, um, were commonplace in the ancient world. They look something like this. Now, if you were to build a pool, I'm looking to the builders here in the room, how many colonnades would you expect to build around a square pool? Four. Yeah, there's four sides to a square. But John says there's five colonnades, and it doesn't kind of make sense, except that recent excavations of this pool have shown, in fact, there was a fifth colonnade running between uh, down the middle of the pool. See, it's not the sort of detail you include, is it, if this was just a folktale or a bit of fiction. See, this is more eyewitness than hearsay. Of course, you get the details about the man. He's disabled for 38 years, very precise number. You read exactly what Jesus said to him. See, the point is that as remarkable as it sounds, this really happened. Jesus walked up to this man, said, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Year after year, this man 
laid by the pool, hoping that he would be healed, listening for the announcements and the commotion that these waters are bubbling up, and then crawling or crying out for a friend in desperation to get to these waters to be healed, only for someone else to pip him to the post. And he would go through the same cycle time and time and time again. And yet, with a word, his suffering is ended. But what about us? I mean, maybe we look at that and think, that's pretty neat, isn't it? Jesus is very kind to this man. But how does that help me with my struggles, with my brokenness 2,000 years later? How does it help me to trust Jesus' words when he promises that we have eternal life? Well, that's what we see here in the second point as we think about the meaning. In the first part, we've got the sign, uh, verses 1 to 9. And in the second part, we get the meaning of the sign, what the sign's about. Now, you might think what happened to this man is a great cause of celebration. After all, he's been healed. He's been disabled for so long. But yet, for the religious leaders, it's not, is it? See, in their eyes, this healing has broken the Sabbath law. And so Jesus finds himself on the defensive in verse 16. And I wonder what you might expect Jesus to say in defense to this accusation that the Sabbath law has been broken. You might expect Jesus to say, well, look, come on, guys. I didn't really work, did I? I spoke. I mean, I know I'm speaking now. It's not work, is it? I mean, I'm, yeah, let's not go there. But um, you kind of get the picture, don't you? Um, or he doesn't say, look, actually, it was the man who took up his mat. I just merely told him to take up his mat. He's doing the work. If you're going to blame anyone, blame him. No, he doesn't say that. Look at what he does say at verse 17. He said, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, it makes sense, doesn't it? His father's working, Jesus is working. See, children copy their fathers and mothers. Um, yesterday, I was putting a felt board, like a notice board, up in my house. This is an insight into the kind of rock and roll lifestyle I live in my house. It's newly decorated. I put this felt board up, and as soon as I started drilling, I had all three kids around my feet trying to replicate my drilling on my newly decorated wall. And that's what children do. They copy their father, and I have to try and be patient about it and try and help them. And I, I guess that's what Jesus could be saying here, that actually as my father works to um, do his work, I'm following as well. Now, when I first read that, I thought to myself, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? God works to keep the creation going. Here's Jesus working, doing his father's work. But yet, that doesn't quite fit the miracle, does it? See, the miracle isn't about keeping the creation running. See, if you're going to choose a miracle that was about keeping creation going, I guess the feeding of 5,000, something like that. But actually, this is about healing a man. It's much more, isn't it, about something else than maintaining creation. And you've got to ask yourself the question, what is it, the work that they're doing, the Father and the Son? See, when Jesus says he's doing the Father's work, he's just talked about the healing he's done. See, in other words, the work the Father and the Son are doing are restoring creation. And in the healing of this man, we get a little picture of that work that the Father does. See, here's the point. If we've 
zoned out, that's fine, come back in here. The point is that in this healing, we have a picture of the greater healing that is going on across the whole of creation. As Jesus gets this man to take up his mat, well, that is an echo of something far greater Jesus and the Father are doing across the whole of creation. Now, if you're not convinced by that, have a look at verse 20, uh, because there he says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show you even greater things than these. So even greater than this man, what, what is that greater thing? Verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. See, in this healing, we have a man utterly broken, utterly unable to help himself. And that is where we find ourselves in this world. And just as the Father raises uh, people from the grave, well, so Jesus does that in the healing of this man. See, this man, in some ways, experiences resurrected life. In fact, the, the word rise in verse 21 is exactly the same word as get up in verse 8. See, in other words, this isn't just some healing for some fortunate man. This is a picture of what God is doing with the whole of his creation. Perhaps we're acutely aware of our brokenness. Perhaps we come tonight with a doctor's diagnosis in our minds. Perhaps we know the body's not quite what it was. Perhaps we struggle with the same sins and we come to church feeling guilty. Perhaps it's that feeling that nothing truly satisfies and you wonder whether anything will. But as you look at this man and his healing, well, you're seeing your own healing in the Lord Jesus being played out. As Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk, so too Jesus will say with us, rise up, and live. Now, how can I be sure that's true? Well, I want us to ask one final question, which is how does this restoration come? See, Jesus doesn't kind of get the surgeon's knife out, does he? He doesn't engage in a bit of physio. How does he do it? Well, it's with a word. And that shouldn't surprise us if we know who Jesus is. Look up over the couple of pages back to John chapter 1, uh, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. Because here we get the introduction to who Jesus is. He's called the Word. Uh, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, remember back to January. I know it's a long time ago now, but remember back to January. We, we looked at Genesis 1, didn't we? And we saw that the way God created the cosmos was to speak. He spoke, the universe followed. And now John takes that word, that event, and describes it uh, and uses it to describe Jesus. See, he, he is that powerful word come to earth. See, the, the same God who created the Milky Way at his command has come to his world he created in the person of Jesus. See, that same 
God, who spoke creation into being, has come to restore it, to heal it with that same word. See, we know, verse 24, this promise that we have eternal life is true because of who is saying it. And the question for all of us tonight is, do we hear it and do we believe it? See, when Jesus says you have eternal life, he's not saying to us, look, come on, guys, if you trust me, you might have a hope of eternal life or you might, um, you might, you know, you've got a better chance with me. He's saying, look, you have crossed. Now, the word cross there, it's used of moving a house or moving home. It's, it's moving category. And notice what he says, you have done that. The moment you trust in Jesus, the moment you believe in him and put your full weight on him, well, then you have crossed from death to life. See, no longer do we need to look at the grave with fear No longer do we have to kind of keep our heads down and plow ourselves into the relationship, the job, kind of pretending that life doesn't have an expiry date. See, rather we can admit freely that we're like the man, broken, unable to help ourselves, needing to fix ourselves from someone, uh, needing someone else to fix us. And no longer do we have the fear of meeting God. See, Christians shouldn't be praying thinking, I wonder what God thinks of me, whether he's angry or not. See, actually, that we have crossed over from death to life. We have eternal life the moment we hear his word and believe in the one who sent him. That is, assuming we have heard and believed. Father, thank you so much for... Jesus' wonderful promise here. And thank you for the wonderful proof he gives in the healing of this man. And we pray, Father, that we would be those that indeed hear his word and believe in the one who sent him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.